Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Run to the Father by Pastor Sean Wood. Lord, as we come around your word, I'm mindful of Genesis chapter 1 that reminds us that your word, your action and your power, they're not separate. God said and it was. And this morning as your word goes forth, Lord, I believe that your action and your power accompanies your word. May our hearts be open, we pray, in your wonderful name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you'd like to meet me in uh, Luke chapter 15. It is good to see you sitting there, Liz. Uh, Many will be aware last week, but Liz appears to be fine. Uh, The good news is they couldn't find anything major. Uh, So therefore, it's obviously uh, that particular day, it was my special anointing that only Liz was sensitive to. (laughs) So the leadership is very spiritual. We're going to claim that. (laughs) Uh, As this week, you know, when I look at what happens in Texas, okay, I get it. Something's wrong when an 18-year-old boy can walk into a shop and walk out with two AR-15 assault rifles. Okay, something's wrong. I get that. They need to change that. I get that. But for a moment, as we take a step back, the reality is that guns are not America's problem. What we do see across the globe is that there's a deep brokenness inside. Something has to be broken for an 18-year-old, not much more than a child in some ways, to walk into a classroom. Something has to short-circuit. Something has to be wrong on the inside. We have a message of hope to a broken world. It's called the gospel. Last week, if you were here, uh, we, I believe the gospel is enormously important and I believe it is the gospel that is under attack. I believe the truth of the gospel is under attack. I believe it is continuing to be watered down and diluted and there seems to be a push that we have to make the gospel sound really nice and sweet so that everybody out there accepts it and, and, and we don't want to confront or offend anybody so we want to make it all nice and the gospel, I'll, I'll put the disclaimer out there again, as we go through the gospel, the gospel is offensive. And so it should be. Jesus offended people. He offended dry religious people that wanted to have all the pomp and ceremony but keep their sins in the back closet. It's interesting that when Jesus came, the religious people rejected him and the sinners and the tax collectors ate with him. The gospel is offensive. We, we can't change the message because why? Because there is power in the gospel to transform the human heart. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God under salvation. And what we learned from the Corinthians last week is that this is the gospel, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. It's the gospel in which you received, he says, past tense, and in which you stand, present tense and of which you are being saved, future tense. We don't start at the gospel and move on to the deep things of God. The gospel is the deep thing of God, profound. 
If you were with us last week, we, we uh, the, everybody's heading will say that this is the parable of the prodigal son. If I, if I could take a bit of free license this morning, I'd like to change that title to the parable of the prodigal God and his two lost sons. And last week, we looked at the first son. Today, we look at the father and we explore the heart of the father. Next week, we look at the older son. And what we understand about the parable of this uh, of these two lost sons is the first one comes to his father and says, give me. <laughs> Don't we live in a give me generation? He comes to his father and says, give me my share of the inheritance. Uh, if my sons are thinking of doing that, you can have your inheritance now. One can have the electricity bill. The other one can have, <laughs> the other one can have the car payments and someone's got to look after the dog. Right. <laughs> and the cat. No cats. <laughs> Cast that out in the name of Jesus. But what an offensive thing to say in the first century because everybody listening to Jesus knows that that means the younger son is saying to the dad, I wish you dead. We live in a society that wishes God was dead. We live in a generation that is proclaiming that God is dead. My God is alive. We understand that the, the young son takes hold of his inheritance. He goes off into a far country. And, and if at any point in time there is distance between you and God, God did not move. We heard about Genesis 3 today. We understand that uh, when sin entered into humanity, that God comes down in the cool of the evening just like he always did. Where was Adam and Eve? Hiding in the bushes. We understand that this young son squanders everything that he has, but when he hits rock bottom because of a severe famine, I love how God is able to bring severe famines in our lives. I believe, firmly believe that COVID was a tool in God's hand to dry up affections in our lives, to get us to look towards him. It's unprecedented that there was an event, a global event that keeps people out of churches. It's unprecedented that we couldn't meet together. For four months, I preached here on my own. People still slept when I preached because it was Reuben. <laughs> but everybody remained seated, you'd be pleased to know. <laughs> it's dangerous sitting at the front row. Uh, it's, it's dangerous. It's, it's the most dangerous place on the planet, they say. But what I love about the young son is he hits rock bottom and then we see that, yes, there was distance between him and God. I actually firmly believe that there are prodigals sitting in church seats, those that have adopted maybe even a give me gospel. We've got give me gospels today, you know, a gospel that proclaims and is focused on what God has in his hands rather than who he is. But when the son hits rock bottom and decides, I want to go back to the father, we, it's beautiful. Uh, we're going to see uh, from the father's perspective today, but it's beautiful. Uh, but when he came to himself, step one, there was an awakening. I pray for an awakening in Brisbane. I pray for an awakening that eyes would be open and people realise I am lost in my sin and I need Christ. I pray for an awakening. I pray for an awakening in the church. I need to be woken up sometimes. I pray that we would all adopt the same method. The son says, I will arise and go to my father. That's repentance. Often we think, well, we repent 
and we're saved and that's it. But the Christian life is repenting every day. Every day I will open my eyes. I have to make a choice to turn away from the world and keep following Christ. That is the hallmark of the Christian life. It's turning away. Uh, I want you to know today, we're going to unpack this more as we go along. Uh, The Christian life is not defined by perfection. Perfectionism will kill you spiritually. It's not defined by perfection, but rather direction. If you want evidence for that, there's 12 disciples. Uh, How many of those guys were perfect? They were fishermen, yes, so they're very holy, but (laughs) none of them were perfect. And then we see that he comes to the father, he's rehearsing his speech. You ever done that? When I was in trouble and the police would pull me up and they say, would you like us to go and speak to your father? (laughs) I can negotiate with you? No. (laughs) Don't go home. Why? Because he's rehearsing the speech. What am I going to say when I get home? And he says, I have sinned. When was the last time? When was the last time we just came before God and were honest and said, you know what? I've sinned. Those attitudes are not gospel attitudes. Those motivations, those desires. And then we see humility. He comes and he says, I'm not even worthy. I want to digress for a moment because humility is really important, but it's important particularly today because often we see humility as making less of ourselves, that we have to run ourselves into the ground, we have to devalue ourselves, but that's not scriptural at all. Humility is not about uh, making yourself worse or making or painting yourself in a worse picture. Uh, humility is all about making much about God. Humility looks like we make much about God. As we approach these verses, we're going to begin in verse 20 today, but I'd like to tell you the story of a young man. This young man, true story, a young man that uh, uh, was born here in Australia. And uh, he, the last time he knew or saw his biological father was when he was about five or six. And after some period of time, he, he's living with his mum, and <clears throat> after some period of time, she meets another guy. And it's not long before the home environment becomes very violent, and uh, over a period of maybe three to four years, uh, becomes reasonably unlivable. That young man, uh, it comes to a climax for that young man because he finds himself in a room uh, where it's just a welfare officer who's tried to reconcile the situation. It's his mother and it's him. And he can still remember the haunting words when the welfare officer says to this young man's mother, you have a choice today, you take your son home or you take your partner home. And she says, I don't want him. Wow, they're powerful words, aren't they? Later on, he's thrust into the system, becomes a ward of the state. Uh, The welfare system being what it is, is enormously broken. Uh, But there's some gems of people that exist inside of it. But some time later, he finds himself a ward of the state and he goes from welfare home to welfare home, foster home to foster home, finds himself with a couple. He's there for a few weeks, thinks that he might be able to settle down and there's an accident. He's out in the backyard. They have a child of about five or six years of age and he would say the child just fell off his bike, doesn't know what happened, but the child fractured his skull, which was terrible in and of itself. But that young man was blamed for a lot of things that he didn't do. And he can't remember a whole lot except that it was a Friday night, he would tell you, and it was unusual for a welfare officer to even answer the phone, but they did answer the phone, and he can still remember the end of the phone call, we don't want him here. 
So he's packed up again, late Friday night. Welfare officer says, uh, you wouldn't believe it. He says, I I thought I was going to have to put you in a group home. Group home's the bottom, by the way, when it comes to foster homes. He says, but I found a lady that says you can stay there for two weeks. He said, okay, this is the system. You kind of go from house to house and... Two weeks turned into four weeks, turned into six weeks, turned into eight weeks before the welfare officer finally rang. Young man sitting at the table having breakfast. And uh, the lady that he was staying with said a lot of words. But the conversation ended like this. I don't believe anything that other family said. He's fine where he is. Forget that he's here. I want him to stay. Wow. Wow. And that young man would tell you that that was one of the most profound conversations he had heard up until he read this verse in Luke chapter 15. Because in this verse, he says, and he arose and came to himself. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. What the young man would say when he reads that sentence is, that says, God wants me. If you don't hear anything else this morning, if you, if you don't hear anything else today, hear these words, God wants you. You see, the young son, he hasn't done anything. He hasn't said a word. He hasn't gotten down on his knees. We're going to see he hasn't even cleaned himself up. The father's looking for him because he wants him. A couple of things that are really important this morning. Number one, notice the son's not going home. He's going to the father. Every religion in the world paints a journey going to a place. In Christianity and only in Christianity did Jesus come to bring us to a person. Often we have the misconception that Jesus came to earth to hand out free tickets to heaven. That's a glorious and wonderful and beautiful result But Jesus didn't come to hand out free tickets to heaven. He came to reunite man with with God. It was something you can't do. And Jesus has torn down all of the hurdles. Jesus has removed any and every obstacle, including all of your shame, all of your indignity, and all of your sin that is separating you and God. And as we learned last week, as we sit here this morning, you are as close to God as you want to be. Because God doesn't move. Today, I hope and I pray that we get a snapshot of the Father's heart. It's a powerful emotive when somebody wants you. And if you're sitting here this morning thinking to yourself, well, I have to get all of my act together before God's ever going to want me and, and you don't know what I've done in the past, then that's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is God loves you just as you are, loves you too much to leave you just as the way you are. But with all of your wrinkles and all of your grey hair, he still loves you. I wasn't looking anywhere in particular. And he arose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, what a beautiful picture that is, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. He felt compassion. To to feel compassion is to be moved inwardly. Uh, You'll read in the Gospels that uh, phrases like this, and Jesus moved with compassion. 
It's somebody else's trouble that you step into to alleviate for them. You have a desire to alleviate. And so now we see that the father feels compassion and he runs and embraced him and kissed him. I I love C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest apologists of the last century. Not a guy that's good at saying sorry, but one who's good at giving a defence for the gospel. Uh, He was uh, sitting in a room, quietly reading a book, three Christians just next to him at a table, all discussing what is it that separates and distinguishes Christianity above all the other religions? Uh, What is the one thing? What is the one word? And, and, and And they talked about redemption. And they talked about words like the great exchange and all those other things and the blood of Christ and sacrifice. And C.S. Lewis puts his book down on the table and says, guys, it's easy. It's grace. You see, the message of the gospel is you don't deserve... If God treated us like we deserved, none of us would be here. God doesn't owe us anything. We're going to see it's kind of the other way around. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Do you know the greatest need I found? I've been a pastor for 3.2 nanoseconds, I get that. But I have found that the greatest need amongst humankind, inside of churches and outside, the one thing everybody yearns for and wants is to be seen. Is that somebody sees me. Somebody notices me. Somebody wants me. Well, I've got some good news for you this morning. If nobody else, God wants you and God sees you. And while he's still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion. And listen to these words. Listen to these words. He ran and embraced him and kissed him. And and in the first century, running was reasonably difficult if you were a guy. Because you would wear these long robes. Phrases in the first epistle of Peter, it says, gird up your loins. That phrase means to, to basically tuck up your dress for want of a better term. But you couldn't just run in the first century if you were a male because you had all of the, so you had to wrap it up and it was enormously shameful because it was considered shameful to expose your legs. And I've seen some people at the beach in Queensland, it's shameful to expose your legs. <laughs> but to everybody listening to Jesus right now, they're thinking, what? They know the Father means God. They also know, the religious ones also know the older son refers to them. They also know the prodigal refers to the Gentiles. And they're thinking, the father ran. The father lowered himself, took on all of the indignity and shame to move from where he was to greet this son that's a long way off. That's exactly what it means. It says that he ran and embraced him. They're all verbs. Notice God's doing some doing here. He ran and embraced him. And the word brace means to, means to fall upon one's neck. It means to completely just let go of everything and embrace. I love J.I. Packer, one of the greatest theologians of the last century. J.I. Packer described faith as an embrace. Faith, our response to the gospel, He says, it's like an embrace. And what that means is we let go of everything else. You know, you can't kind of, this isn't like dance class in high school, guys, where we kind of, you know, we kind of embrace the women like this. And it was kind of, (laughs) because we didn't want girl cooties, so we kind of, that's not the embrace that's listed here. 
We didn't want cat cooties, Ross. No. No furballs. But, but that's not an embrace. An embrace is when you grab hold of both arms and you wrap them around. Too many people have got one arm around God and another arm around the world. You can't have, the, you can't have it. The truth of the gospel is you can't have it that way. I hope what we begin to see is the truth of the gospel highlights why would you want it that way? Grace changes my I have to to I get to, I want to. Paul writing to the Romans, which is really the gospel. The, the book of Romans is the gospel from chapter 1 to chapter 16. It's just one big message of the gospel. And he says that, and Paul says that if you think grace means that you get the freedom to do whatever you want, and this is license, and where and where sin abounds, grace abounds, so you can go and do what you want. Paul says you guys don't get grace. Grace was the power and the motivation and the fire and the fuel that drove Paul to sell his life out for Christ. The father runs, the father embraces, and the father kisses, which is a great sign of forgiveness. Interesting, the son has not said a word and he's forgiven. Now the son's going to go over the speech that he's been rehearsing. Verse 22, uh, excuse me, verse 21, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I want to cover off this word. He says, I'm no longer worthy. I want to cover off this word worth this morning because I hear this a lot. I hear in, in people's vocabulary, I hear a lot, well, you know what, God wouldn't want me. You don't know what I've done. God wouldn't want me, you know, uh, whatever it looks like. You, whatever your past may look like. I've done this, I've done time in prison, whatever it looks like. When I was in the forestry, I hired guys straight out of prison. I'll tell you why, because they used to work and they used to do as they're told. And I'm not joking about that. These guys, if I said do this, they did it. Simple as that. This isn't about your past. Worth is not defined by what you do. It's interesting how the gospel or the kingdom context of worth is defined. Jesus defined worth for us when he said, I wonder if you know these verses, uh, anybody who loves mother, father, brother, sister more than me is not what? Worthy of me. You see, worthy inside of kingdom context is defined by our response to Christ. And what I have found across church circles and even in my own life is when there is a response problem, when there is a half-hearted response, when there is a diminished response, when there is a, a kind of a lukewarm response and a flippant response to God, the problem lies in we don't see the full worth of Christ. If we saw the full worth of Christ painted in the picture of the gospel, we wouldn't ask any questions. I've said this many times, I'm going to say it again, but in the gospel, if you want to know, well, what do, how should we respond? What is the kingdom context? What does that even look like? Here's this wonderful message of the gospel, but how should I respond? Uh, many people throughout scripture ask, what must I do? Uh, well, doing usually follows the response, but in biblical terms, there are three responses to Christ. The first one is that some people hated him and wanted to kill him. 
the Pharisees. Other people were afraid of him and ran away from him. And there are people that sit in these chairs every Sunday and you are running away from God because you're afraid to give up everything. You're afraid to be exposed. You're afraid to come naked before God out of the bushes and say, here's my heart, do your work. It's time for us as the people of God to stop listing our demands as we push the piece of paper across and give God an empty piece of paper and say, your will, God. The third response was some were completely besotted with him and gave up everything to follow him. Which one best describes you today? Where did we go so wrong that somewhere along the lines, our response to a God who gave us everything without even a question. I see Jesus on the cross all the way back in Genesis chapters 1, 2 and 3. I see redemption right back in Genesis. God was always coming to get you. It was always on God's mind. But the God that said, I'm going to give everything for you, where did we get the half-hearted, lukewarm responses from? Where did we invent that? Where did we allow any other response except, I give my whole life in surrender to God? Where did we get any other response than that? Imagine if the 110, 20-odd people that are in the room, and, and some of you are odd, I know. That's not a prophecy this morning. Or a challenge, Russell. What would happen if all of us in this room right now said, you know what? I'm going to determine to surrender completely to Christ. I wonder what God would do. Let's wrap this up. Let's move quickly now. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but the father said to his servants, bring quick. Listen to the response of the father. The father says, basically, I'm going to paraphrase now. He says, I'm not going to have you back as a servant. You'll come back as a son. You'll like this one, uh, uh, Pope, Bishop. You'll like this one. He has a ring of his own. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. The best robe uh, speaks of our righteousness in Christ. I love this because scripture repeatedly speaks that we are dressed in the robes of righteousness that Christ has put. You don't have to make those robes. You just got to put them on. Praise God. He's provided the robe. He says, bring it and put it on him. And he says, you know what? Uh, The best robe and put on him, put the ring on his finger. The ring was a sign of authority, but he's uh, a Pope Bishop's got a ring. Uh, for those that haven't kissed it yet, uh, 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 the, the Pope's manufactured one for him. But however, what happens, that we're going to have a wedding ceremony soon. There's, there's people getting married in this church. There's a, there's a really special part of the wedding ceremony where we exchange rings. And you know what that ring says? That ring basically says, when you put that ring, when, when the man puts it on the woman, it says, she belongs to me. And when the woman puts the ring on the man's finger, that means you now do as you tell. <laughs> I only do this when my lovely wife is in Kids Rock. <laughs> what the ring says to the son is, the father is saying, you belong to me. And put shoes on his feet. Why? Because slaves were distinguished by bare feet in the first century. Put shoes on this man's feet because he will be in my house and he will live as a free man. 
there are people in this room today that are in the house of God and you're barefoot. The gospel says, put some shoes on. You can be free of those addictions. You can be free of those hassles. You can be free of those challenges today because God brings you back as a free man. You can leave the chains outside. Father said, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, put the ring in his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf. The fattened calf, for those that want to know, was reserved for special occasions. What's the father saying? Your return is a special occasion. The father goes on and says, what was once lost, I've now found. What was once dead is now alive. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people live. I was dead. That's my testimony. But Jesus made me alive. In a moment, we're going to take a few moments just to listen to a song that I really, really like. Everybody should know what that song is by now. Run to the Father by Cody Carnes. We're going to listen to it in a moment. I'll tell you a brief story. <clears throat> when I first moved to Tasmania, uh, myself and my sister, when we first moved to Tasmania, first place we lived was a place called Mount Barrow. Later on in life, I would actually plant trees all around basically the base of Mount Barrow, but we lived 500 metres above the snow line, um, which was literally, in winter, was 500 metres above the snow line. You ski down the driveway. However, however, uh, we lost the dog one day. Uh, cat, no one goes looking, but the dog, do- dog went missing, and so we, uh, I, was, I was really young. I was maybe seven, maybe eight, and my sister was young as well, so we thought, we'll get, we're going to go find this dog. It's nothing but bush around Mount Barrow, by the way. Uh, and there's not a whole lot of civilization around Mount Barrow. Uh, anyway, we left uh, sometime early in the morning, uh, and it was getting dark very, very... I was hungry, okay, because I was male, but uh, all I can remember, and I was only young, all I can remember is in the distance, we could see a light on. And just as it was getting to, like, six, seven o'clock at night, uh, we made our way to this house, and we were, we were gutter-crawling, commode-hugging lost. We had no idea where we were. In fact, years later, I sat down with my sister with a map and said, I can never remember where we actually made it to, but we found the place. It could only be like three places, et cetera. And I can still remember what the policeman said when he walked in. I can still remember what mum said when we got home, by the way. But I can still remember, I can still remember what the policeman said when he walked in. He said, hello there. I've come to take you back to your mum. If Jesus, the gospel, I believe Jesus would say to some today, I've come to take you back to your father. You don't have to live at distance anymore. But you can be close to God. I believe uh, that God can do his work right in the seat. If you need prayer this morning, we'd love to pray, pray with you. But I leave you with these words. God wants you. And this morning, would you run to the Father? Don't walk. Don't hobble. Don't put it off. Run to the Father. As we listen to this song, just quietly in your seats, listen to the words of this song. It's a wonderful song. And then we'll close. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.